Hi, and welcome to the Fractal Marketing Podcast. My name is Jared Doyle, and on this show, I take marketing questions from listeners and provide answers so that everybody who tunes in can learn a little bit more about marketing and hopefully find some ideas for their business. So we've got two great questions this week that I want to cover. Um, The first question talks about influencer marketing. And the second question really talks about how to explain prices and product comparison in in a fairly difficult space. So the first question comes from Scott Miller, who is the CEO and founder of Bop Industries, who writes, would love to hear your thoughts on how to start influencer marketing. So Great question, broad question, lots of stuff to cover. Um, I'll do my best to get through everything. Um, look, Scott, I think the best place to start thinking about your influencer marketing is to have a look at the customers you already have. And the best way to do that is by using net promoter scores. So where I'm going with this line of thinking is influencer marketing, the first thing we think of is, is reaching out to celebrities and people with an existing audience. But really, the place we want to be starting our influencer marketing is talking to the customers who are already evangelists. And so the best way to to find those evangelists is using um, net promoter scores, which is NPS. And the great thing about net promoter scores is that they're so easy to set up and so easy to measure. So if you don't know what a net promoter score is, basically you will have encountered at some point after you've made a purchase or conducted some kind of online, online activity, you get an email and that email says, how likely are you to refer us to one of your friends? Please rate us on a scale of 1 to 10. And basically, that scale of 1 to 10 is your net promoter score. And what we're looking at there is trying to work out how likely you are to refer you to a friend. And the idea is to keep it as simple as possible. So the history of the uh, net promoter score, or NPS, actually doesn't go back that far. It's only sort of a few years, maybe a decade ago, that it really raised to, rose to fame when the CEO of Enterprise Rent-A-Car was at a, uh, a conference. And in that conference, everyone was discussing how they were going to grow their business and what they were measuring and all the different metrics involved in deciding what was going to drive their business forward. And when he spoke, he'd actually worked out a really simple model. And he was the one that really pioneered NPS scores. And the way they looked at it was just to ask those two simple questions. So it really got down to this idea of, On a scale of zero to 10, how likely are you to recommend this product or company or service or brand? And secondly, why did you give us that score? So what we've got there is a quantifiable measure, zero to 10, and a qualitative measure, which is the answers as to to why you gave that score. So when it comes down to deciding, you know, rationalizing why he chose this metric, he realized it was really because he wanted to talk to just the people who were happy, just the people who were likely to recommend his service or his company And by doing that, what he'd done is enable the business to focus just on the positives, just on the things that were going to grow their company. So not looking backwards at detractors, just looking at the people that wanted to drive the company forward. And by focusing on those simple customers, they were able to grow their business. And that's ultimately what we're talking about here with influencer marketing. By going after your strongest advocates, you're really coming up with a way to drive your business forward. And they're the people likely to be influencers. Yes, maybe they don't have a million followers on Twitter, but it's a great place to start and to get going. So just to recap on that, what we're really trying to work out is on that scale where everyone sits. And the great thing about an NPS score to anyone outside the industry is that we're not looking at like one, five being the average. So the natural position for us as 
considered nice humans, and this is why I think the NPS score works so well, is we consider five to be the average because it's right in the middle. And so the default nice thing to do is to give someone a seven. However, on the NPS scale, any score of zero to six is considered a detractor. Somebody not only not likely to recommend you, but probably not to say nice things about your company. Seven and eight are the neutral scores. They're the ones that they're not actually going to promote you. So those seven and eights that you think, oh, I want to be a bit nice. Maybe I'll give them an eight. That actually doesn't count. The only people we're focused on are your nines and your tens. These are the people that promote your business. These are the people that will be influencers. And the thing about them is, yes, maybe they're not, haven't got a huge reach, but it's a great place to start. You don't need to reach out to these people and they don't know who you are. They already love your product and they're the best people to be engaging early on. So moving on to sort of influencer marketing in its real, its entirety. I was talking about this with a client the other day, a couple of weeks back, and I was trying to think of a way to explain influencer marketing. And I came up with an analogy and I, maybe it's not the best analogy in the world, but it kind of worked for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it here. And the analogy was to align influencer marketing and marketing in general and try to relate it to dating. And bear with me on this one. I'll get to the, get to the rationalization of it soon. If you can imagine a scenario, there's a guy and a girl and, a, and, the, and the guy is trying to impress the girl. He, he's seen her. He wants to go out with her. He wants to see her go on a date. Now, if that guy, for example, was to start saying things, to walk up to this lady uninvited and start saying things like, I'm a great guy. I'm really nice. I've got a good job. I've got a stable family. I've got good future earning potential. I come from a good line of breeding stock. I'm honest. I'm, you know, devoted to, to family. I'm very much prioritizing around, you know, the environment and I love pets and I really want babies. You can imagine if you're somebody just standing there, the lady standing there would just be absolutely horrified to the point of probably actually being quite scared by this person. So you can imagine there's almost zero chance of this guy going on this date because he's basically rushed at this lady, uninvited, throwing a whole lot of credentials at her that she didn't really ask for and tried to sort of win her across. And my analogy is that's what we do with our marketing almost every day as a company. We go out, we find people who didn't necessarily ask to be spoken to and thrust at them all the different things that are great about us. Well, you know, that's us talking about ourselves. Of course, we're going to have a positive spin on it. You can't really believe it. Now, the way to relate that to influencer marketing and the reason why people see influencer marketing as being so valuable and powerful is take that same scenario, but instead of the guy running at the girl and stating all of his credentials, his facts, his, his greatness to her, now imagine that she's talking to her best friend and her best friend is they're in a coffee shop and she's saying, I know this guy. He's really nice. He comes from a great family. He's studying this great degree. I know that he's serious about relationships, but he hasn't found the right person yet. Well, that can be a story about exactly the same person, except in this scenario, two girlfriends are talking and because the second girl is a friend and she's making a recommendation, all of a sudden the same facts could be said exactly the same way and they go from being creepy and self-serving to great advice. So you can see how in that scenario, as stretched as the analogy is that I've made, you've got a completely different situation. You've got somebody and the second friend, the girlfriend, she's effectively an influencer. Her ability to sway the first girl's opinion is huge because she's 
basically staking her reputation and the authority in marketing terms or company terms, the brand equity she has with this person on the guy. So that kind of gets to an interesting point, an interesting part about influencer marketing. Influencer marketing is all about borrowing or basically taking the brand equity from one person or one company and attaching it to yourself, to your company. So what you're doing is saying, I want to take some of the equity, some of the trust, some of the influence that you have in your brand, and I want to associate that with my brand. And what makes it really powerful is with a new company, you can have zero influence, you can have zero brand. But if an influencer is willing to recommend you, you get a part of their brand. Now, to make influencer marketing work really well, think of it like this. Think about three different scenarios. In one scenario, bad influencer marketing, the influencer loses part of their brand equity by recommending your company. If it's a bad fit between you and the influencer, that influencer loses brand equity. And most influencers, the most valuable thing they have isn't the money that you might be paying them, it's their influence. So not only is that deal not a great deal, you're very unlikely to get it across the line. Most influencer marketing, the influencer doesn't actually lose any brand power. They simply take some of it, it doesn't disappear, and they're able to give you part of that brand equity. So your overall brand equity bubble, if you can imagine sort of being a circle, the sorry, the area of that circle is increasing and the influencer's brand isn't. Now, the third scenario and the one that we all strive to get to is a scenario where the influencer and the brand they're influencing are such a great match. It's such a good relationship that it actually grows the influencer's brand. So to get to that kind of scenario, apart from the fact that you have to have a great match of audience, a great match of product, service, benefits, features, you also want to be able to give the influencer something that they can give to their audience. And that's usually in the form of a, um, could be a voucher, a coupon, a deal, a special offer. Because if you get that right, the influencer's brand equity actually grows. Because the people that they're influencing now look and say, I only got this deal because the influencer recommended it. So you should always strive for the third. It's quite rare, but it is very attainable. What you have to avoid is the first scenario where you're going to cost the influencer part of their brand equity because it's probably not going to work out that well for you either. So I just want to briefly look at what I consider to be the four different types of influencers that are available. So the first type, the one that most people know are the celebrity influencers. And these are the people who have big followings, but maybe they're not directly attached to an industry. They're not likely to be directly related to the product. It's more about matching the audience. So this example might be, you might look at the 50 million strong believers that follow Justin Bieber on Twitter. That is a huge audience. He has great influence but his audience is obviously very targeted. So if you've got a B2B SaaS company, you probably don't want a celebrity. You also need to think about what that celebrity is able to do, how close they are to the product, because if it's too far away, even a Kardashian's not going to really increase your business. The second type of influencer, and the one that I think is most often overlooked, is the content creator. So these are the people that create long blog posts, do podcasts, um, even images, even create things with your product, they might not have a huge audience, but they're creating a valuable asset. And sometimes that asset tends to live beyond the influence of the person themselves or even the company themselves. So I always recommend having a look at the content creators because they can be the influencers make a big difference. There's a Brisbane startup company called Creatively Squared, who I think tap into this content creator market really nicely. So unlike platforms where you might be talking to influencers who are all about 
how many Instagram and how many Twitter followers they have, how many Facebook connections they have. Creatively Square talks to the content creators. They're the people who do the great photos. So yes, there's a little bit of audience there, but what you're really getting is great content. And so you're paying more for the photo than you are necessarily for the reach of that photo. So you have to still do a lot of the driving yourself, but there can be a lot of influence in there by getting the right kind of feel. The third is the buzz builders. These are the people, most businesses who really want to sort of make a market and and find the right point for their business. These are the best people to go after. They maybe don't have celebrity level appeal, but what they have is that ability to get the noise going, to get the conversation going. So hopefully their influence extends beyond just themselves. It's the other people they're able to influence. So these are the connectors. These are the sneezers. These are the people who, if they say something, people listen. They might not have the huge following, but the followers of their followers tend to add up. The fourth are the advocates. So these are the people I spoke about at the start. The advocates are the people who are able to, um, probably already using your product. They're really genuine about what they do. The, the power of one person who passionately recommends a Tesla car to somebody else is infinitely greater than the person who really doesn't believe in it but has just been paid. So look, it's it's great that one person might be sort of, you know, and Tesla don't do this, but if they pay celebrities to drive their cars, yes, that's going to have an influence. But really what it is, is the people who have the car, who are able to talk to their friends and family and say, this is the best car. This is what you need to do. This is how much I'm in love with it. So just to go over those four types again and find the right type um, is important. You've got your celebrity, your content creators, your buzz builders, and your advocates. So I think it's important now, once you sort of got your mind around those four different types, is look, the toughest thing for me with influencer marketing is tracking it, coming up with a model that sort of says, this is the results we want to get from it. You know, yes, there's tracking. Yes, there's links. But I think more than that, we need to start, and it's true of all marketing techniques. You know, we we have a general habit now, which is to say something's new and it breaks all the old rules and the rules are broken. Therefore, they can't possibly be right. You know, and, and it tends to be, these statements to be made by people who maybe didn't study marketing, who maybe didn't study any kind of business. And you know, as a personal opinion, and I read this online as well from somebody else, and I'll try to find uh, a reference to this LinkedIn article and share it. It's from the UK. But you, you don't really have the right to break the rules if you don't know the rules first. So anyway, it's a bit of a side tangent for me there. But what I'm looking at here is to say, we need to think about our influencer marketing in terms of our sales funnel, our engagement funnel, our marketing funnel, but basically our funnel. And I break it down into these groups. And there's lots of different ways you might break it down. But I'd like to, for the purposes of this podcast, consider it as awareness, consideration, preference, purchase, and loyalty. And so these are five different stages along the buying process or funnel, if you like, where you can find different influences to make different impacts, have different effects on your business and what you're trying to achieve. And you can measure them in different ways. So really quickly, you know, awareness, you're really talking about reach and views. And most influencer marketing when it started kind of gets stuck on this level. So it's going to be tough. You know, you're, you're sitting there and saying, you know, I want to measure results. But actually, when you go out looking for influence, you entirely focus on reach and views, which is just awareness. Consideration, you know, you're talking now about clicks, votes, content views, brand studies and comments. It's a slightly more engaged level that we're operating on here. Next along, I spoke about preference. So we're talking here about sharing, likes, followers, data capture, 
absolutely crucial. If you get data capture right, you're going to be in a good place. Social listening solutions that are out there um, and even brand studies. Brand studies are probably a bit too far. My recommendation on a brand study or the, the, the hack version is to simply run an AdWords campaign for your brand, keep track, bid on your brand name, keep track of the number of impressions, which are the number of searches that are happening every day, week or month, and then measure the increase. The way the number of people, the increase in the number of people who are searching for your brand is a pretty strong way to measure the um, the preference moving towards your brand. It's a bit of a cheats way. It's not perfect, but it, it does get pretty good results. Ultimately, if you can, Track your influencer marketing down to, you know, the purchase level. So it's, you know, e-commerce, conversions on the actual sites, downloaded coupons, like tracked coupons. So, you know, putting a referral code in there, that can be a big one. Probably the one I've seen work best on podcasts. You know, this is just a simple case of mention Jared, um, open up a Blueberry hosting account and you'll get an extra 14 days hosting for free and I'll get a commission. You know, it's an easy way to do it. It's, it's a way that referrals work on the, through the spoken word as opposed to clicks and sort of normal affiliate marketing style and lastly, loyalty. So we're looking at sharing, referrals, so referral marketing, and um, another user-generated content, people that actually incorporate your brand or offering into what they're putting together. There's lots of information there. I might take try to take a, a uh, create a little table. Um, I did a presentation, create a little Excel table. It looks ugly, but I'll, I'll put that into the, um, the podcast notes on fractal.com.au. And if you want to, you can you know download that and copy as much as you'd like. So Scott, I hope that gives you some ideas. I hope that gives you some you can action. Just to quickly recap, set up your NPS score. You probably have it done already. Talk to the people who are giving you nines and tens in the NPS. See what you can do with them. Think about breaking your influencer marketing into sort of the four different types of influencers are out there. And think about ways that you can relate that back to your different purchase funnels. So you know, what are your metrics of success? Um, how are you going to measure it? What you're expecting to achieve? And hopefully you get you know, you can get somewhere with influencer marketing. Look, it's hugely powerful. If you get it right, like the dating analogy, pretty confident it's going to work for you. The difficulty is in how you're going to track that. And look, it takes a lot of testing. So don't overcommit. Don't go too far on one particular person or influencer. Spread it out as much as you can. So the second question today comes from Luke Baker, who is the founder of OpenCloud Broadband. I've bumped into Luke uh, once before, but a lot of times online. He's a great guy and he's got a fantastic backstory. If you can find anything about it, it's, it's definitely, I know he's keen to share. Uh, it's definitely worth finding out the inspiration behind Luke getting into this business. But anyway, Luke had a question which was, moving forward, he's looking to change the way his current website has his pricing plans. He wants to get away from the sort of the concept of basic, intermediate and premium. But the problem Luke has is that The current telco plans are all confusing and he needs to re-educate the market. So he wrote quite a long question. That's me paraphrasing, I guess, what he's asking me. Look, I I think there's maybe two approaches we can take with this one, Luke. The first one for me is really thinking about changing the confusing language. I think there's an opportunity for someone to grab hold of this market and change the way we talk about what you're getting. The reality is most people don't really understand bandwidth and data. So they don't understand the relationship between the two. They don't understand how much they need. They can quote what they're getting, but they don't really know what that means for them. And I think there's an opportunity for somebody in the business to turn this around and make it more meaningful, to come up with different units, things that make a bit more sense. So what I mean by that is, look, 
unlimited data seems to be the standard now. And, and that's kind of helped, right? Having, when I say the standard, I mean, it's now an option. That helps because it now makes the whole question much easier. So now we're just talking about bandwidth. And that's not going to be true for everybody, but it, but it does make things a little bit easier. But what I'd be suggesting, and, and look, this is a, it, it's a, it's a lot of work or a lot of thinking, probably a lot of, you know, beers at a pub talking with mates and, and getting, you know, using tests. But my recommendation would be to start talking about bandwidth and data in real usage terms. So what I mean by that is how much is a Game of Thrones episode to download? So understanding that if I was to download Game of Thrones through Foxtel online, how much data is that going to cost me? And how long is that going to take to come down on a particular plan? If you can recalibrate people's thinking into units of movies, into songs, into things that they really do understand, that gives you a much better idea of what you're actually buying. So so where we get to with that is, if you could talk about a Game of Thrones episode and say, your plan allows you, in terms of data, to download Game of Thrones, you know, maybe 50 Game of Thrones episodes, that gives you some concept. Now, obviously, people won't all use Game of Thrones, and, and maybe people don't appreciate how much data is in video, but there may be ways that we can split this into different tests. So it could be sort of like, oh, this is what I do. It might be music. It could be web pages, hours online. It could be games. There's all different ways and different things that we could measure. So I think there might be ways that we can create these packages around how many, like I said, Game of Thrones episodes you're downloading. So I don't have an exact answer for that, but but I think there's got to be a way for us to talk about the data in in a way that people could measure much more easily. And the second part of that obviously is the bandwidth. And it's the amount of time it takes to download that episode. So if I can download that episode in 10 seconds, I I get the value of that. If it's going to take me a minute to download, I can still be okay with that, particularly based on the price. One minute for a whole episode is no big problem. If it's 15 minutes, that's different. If it's half an hour, an hour, these things all change the value proposition in my head. So I use Game of Thrones because I know it's something that a lot of people will download. Maybe some people will be downloading illegally. Um, that's a whole different problem for you with an ISP. But it, it, what we're trying to do is change the way we present data and bandwidth to consumers. The other way, of course, to do it would be not so much a different way, but is to really get granular and, and talk about use cases. So try to almost get people to break themselves into the profiles, like how many people are in the family? When are you home? What are you using it for? The type of use cases. So, you know, you might have a younger, you know, could be a 10-year-old boy who's playing a lot of Minecraft or Xbox. You know, you could have a dad who just occasionally checks emails and you could have a wife and she could be working all day. And as a family, they download two or three movies a week. There might be ways that we can we can structure it. Now, we, we're potentially opening a Pandora's box of possibilities, but I do think there has to be easy ways to relate these things. Now, it might even just be that what we do is create the concepts of people and plans and whether it's a business or whether you're working from home, whether you're playing online games, whether you're streaming movies or music, how many devices you've got hooked up. There are all these different things we could consider. It could be list the number of iPads, iPhones, laptops, PCs. You know, that may be a great indicator. So I don't know what that answer is, but it would be a totally different way to say, this is what you need to be buying, you know, and this is what this plan does. 
Now you could compare that plan then to other telcos and you just translate their plans into the same formula that you're using. But it's all of a sudden it's around how I'm using it. So it's not about the data. In the same way with a car, although I have some appreciation for the kilowatts that a car engine might generate, and and I understand there's some relationship between a car that has 90 kilowatts of power and one that has 110, I don't really appreciate the difference. I know that 110 will go faster to sort of air quote. It should accelerate a bit faster, but then I kind of go, well, hang on, if it's a big car, maybe I need more torque because it needs to be moving forward. Or maybe they're quoting me rather than kilowatts. I'm talking about horsepower, or maybe I'm talking about a four-wheel drive, which is going to take more kilowatts to get through the inertia and all these different elements. And, And data and bandwidth are the same thing. So when I talk about a car and I think about that and say it might be speed might be important or acceleration might be important, that zero to 60, zero to 100 time, well, that kind of gives me the answer. How fast does this car go from zero to 60, from zero to 100? Once I've got that number in my head and I go, oh, it goes from zero to 110 seconds, I know it's not the fastest car, but it's it's going to be all right. That's what we need to do for bandwidth. We need to create that real world example. Yes, not everyone's buying a car based on zero to 10, or sorry, zero to 100 kilometers per hour, but it's something that we understand there's a bit of performance behind a car. Well, this car isn't about performance. We can do exactly the same thing with bandwidth. Look, it, it's a difficult one, Luke, but if you get it right, If you do come up with ways, and I think the only way you're going to do that is a lot of surveys, a lot of testing, a lot of sampling, an awful lot of split testing on your pricing page. But if you can get that right, I think it truly is a way that you can change the perception of people, get them moving away from things they don't understand and become much more the people's ISP, one that they do understand. Because at the end of the day, the only people that are getting measuring ping times and looking at bandwidth and data usage and really understanding it probably aren't the customers you want they're probably not the customers that are going to be driving your business or be that profitable in the end. So I hope that helps. Uh, you know, In terms of an action point, I really think for you it's work out what it is people really want to measure and how they, want to, how they can perceive the value of the bandwidth and the data they've got allocated. And if we can come up with a nice, simple way to do that and people can start buying episodes of Game of Thrones or number of devices connected or permanently connected. These are all signals that we can kind of take away. I think we're going to be in a better place. So the last thing I wanted to cover on this week's episode is a topic that came up with one of my clients uh, earlier on this week. And we were talking about social media marketing and, and the question I kind of got asked was really, you know, how do I do it if I haven't got much time? I haven't got a huge audience, you know, give me one trick, one thing that I can do that's going to make a difference. And um, I came across this idea sort of in the spur of the moment, and it was really simply put, was to be a listener. And the idea behind being a listener and not a talker is that social media is full of people who are shouting, people that are making posts and who want to be heard. These are people spending time crafting tweets, putting them out there and getting zero likes. If they're lucky, they get one from their partner. And so when you look at it, you know, the ratio of people talking versus people listening, has got to be something like 99 to one. So if you want to stand out from the crowd on any of the social media platforms, Twitter is the most obvious one, but it holds true with Facebook or Instagram or probably not Instagram as much, but definitely LinkedIn as well. Be the person who listens. And the person who, li- who listens isn't the person who just throws a token like at a LinkedIn post or like something on Twitter, you're the person who reads the article that that person has posted, understands it, deciphers it, 
and works out a way to engage with the person who originally shared it, not in a negative way, not to start a kind of Twitter war, but actually stop, ask a question, follow up with some information. Don't turn it into a conversation about yourself. Don't say, oh, you know, I've done this or this is, you know, why I've done it better or have you considered this? You know, don't try to put yourself out there as the authority, but you could do that in a much simpler way is to acknowledge their expertise or the time they've put in and then ask a leading question, see where the conversation can go. I've found that if you're the person willing to listen, you can make a lot more impact and people will remember you. People will appreciate the time you put in being the listener on social media rather than falling into the trap of the other 99% of people out there who are shouting and no one's listening to what they have to say. So give it a go. Try to spend, the, if you can, if you even believe there's some, you know, there's some value in what I've just said, take the time this week on Twitter. Rather than tweeting out everything you see, spend the time answering other people's tweets or engaging with them or chatting with them. If you want to be really clever about it, engage with the people who you think you would like to talk to, people you'd like to meet, people that you you know value the opinion of. You'll be surprised how quickly you get cut through in the real world by answering and engaging on people's tweets on Twitter or engaging and commenting on their posts on LinkedIn. I hope that's useful and I look forward to speaking to you all again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to that latest episode, guys. I've just got two quick favors to ask of you here right at the end. Firstly, if you have any questions, please shoot them through. This podcast only exists because I answer the questions that listeners send in. So if you head along to fractal.com.au slash questions, that'll redirect you to the latest episode and you can drop your questions down there. Those questions you submit become the basis for each episode. So if you've got a question around SEO, paid search, growth hack marketing, PR, brand positioning, market segmentation, anything you might like to know that's going to help your business, drop the question down there and I'll try to answer it on the next episode. If you don't have any questions, that's absolutely fine. The other thing you can do is head on over to fractal.com.au slash subscribe. Subscribing to this podcast not only delivers each episode straight through to your smartphone, but it really helps me reach a bigger audience all the time. That subscription really helps me out. So if you can do that, I'd really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for your time again and see you next week.